What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. What is up, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you without my fantastic co-host this time, Adam Frommel. I am excited to get back to our team look-ahead train. Uh, we took a brief break so that we could do our win total projections relative to the over-under. If you've not checked out that pod, please do so. It was a lot of fun as per usual. This time, we're going to be talking all things Cleveland Cavaliers and San Antonio Spurs. For the Cavs, I've brought on Justin Rowan. He co-hosts the Chase Down Pod, which is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Networks. Um, follow him at Cavs Anada. That's at C-A-V-S-A-N-A-D-A. Then for the Spurs, we will be speaking with Paul Garcia. He covers the NBA and the Spurs for Project Spurs and analyzing the league. Follow him on Twitter at Paul Garcia NBA, spelled exactly as it sounds. Excited to talk to them. Before we get started, though, just another reminder, the usual reminder to please, 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 pretty please subscribe to us if you've not done that already. If you're a first time listener, wherever you're getting your podcast, download every episode. And regardless of whether you use iTunes, please head over there, search Hardwood Knox, throw us that five star rating write a review. They help us out a ton. I cannot stress that enough. And such a small fraction of people who listen to this podcast relative to our downloads every single episode have done so. I'm not trying to pester you, but it could really help us out. So please do that. Without further delay, though, let's talk some Cleveland Cavaliers or everything Cleveland Cavaliers with Justin Rowan, and then we'll move on to everything and anything San Antonio Spurs with Paul Garcia. Justin, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. I haven't spoken with you. Uh, we did a, a Blue Wire podcast together like over a year ago, but I'm pretty sure we've not done a Hardwood Knox episode together in probably closer to two years. We are on Skype. As you said, it feels like it's 2015. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, always, always down to talk with you. And uh, you know what? I'm glad that we waited a little bit to talk some Cavs because I, I think there's a little bit more reasons for legitimate optimism when it comes to the Cavs right now than there would have been if we talked over the last two years. Yeah. So I have like a super rambly looking spreadsheet where I highlighted the teams, certain teams I wanted to make sure I talked about before the season actually started because there's just with the off season we had, there was no way I was going to get to every single preview. And I highlighted teams that I thought were neglected on this podcast over the past year. Um, and the Cavs, the Bulls, and the Wizards were like the ones um, that I singled out. <laughs> and I just feel like we didn't talk about them enough. And they did have like some dysfunction going on last season, but they are legitimately a team. I'm not even just saying this because you're on the podcast. They're one of the teams I'm more curious about. I feel like I just don't have 
um, a feel for very much. And those are among mm-hmm. my favorite teams to talk about because it just, I become inherently more curious about them then. Yeah. It, they're in a funny position right now where you know, three straight years, I get a lot of kind of draft feedback of, well, I really like this player, but it's a shame they got drafted by the Cavs. And if you do that enough years in a row, I, I think eventually you start becoming a better team. So th- that is one of my kind of outsider signs that at least they're kind of on the right track. There, there's, I, I think there is, if you're not in the championship or bust mentality, because I, I still don't think this is a playoff team. Um, but if you are interested in kind of young talent and team building, I, I think the Cavs are kind of trending in an interesting direction. Well, they have like stuff. Now, and I, th- I have, like, I think it, five players listed before I even ask you a Kevin Love trade question. So that's, like, <laughs> that's got to be some sort of a record. Um, I'll, I'll start with Okoro, and I had listened back to the live draft episode of the Chase Down, which um, mm-hmm. I believe you were not on. Um, Carter seemed to like the pick insofar that it made him money because he, he bet that that's where Okoro was going. Uh, what did you think of that pick? It, because it does, it feels like he's exactly what they need on defense. Um, I'm just curious as to how you view his fit on offense, assuming, of course, that the video they posted of him hitting an off-the-dribble jumper to win a scrimmage the other day is not, like, mm-hmm. just the standard for him. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like the pick. So my number one guy in the draft was Okongwu. Um, I, I think there were some concerns with his health. And also, it kind of seems like small forwards in today's NBA are one of the toughest things to find elite talent at. Like, that, that's a position where it's just scarce. So I think when you have a high pick... There, there's a mindset that you you got to go with um, a wing player if there is one available. And Okoro, to me, was my favorite wing prospect in this draft. Um, I, I think from the defensive perspective, like it, it makes a ton of sense why you bring him in. This is a guy that already has a man's body. He can defend one through four. Um, I, I think team defense is going to take a little while, as it always does with young players. But I, I think at point of attack... He's going to bring them something that they haven't had before, which I, I think really opens up a lot of possibilities. Uh, on the offensive side, he, he's a very intelligent player. Uh, I, I think he's an underrated passer, uh, good finisher around the rim, um, moves well without the ball, which is something that's good to have when you have a lot of ball-dominant players. Um, as far as the jump shot goes, there was optimism about that after his workout. He he himself said that his jumper in college was probably a C and he got it up to a B plus. I'm I'm not gonna buy into that <laughs> to that extent, but the mechanics are a whole lot cleaner. And from what we've heard um out of camp, uh we just podcasted with Larry Nance last week and, and he was talking about just how frequent like he's not scared to take shots like he is someone that is going to take step back shots he's going to take a lot of jump shots and he's confident that not only is he going to be a good shooter but eventually he's going to develop into a very good shooter so um there's optimism that if he can at least be at like let's say 35 percent that's going to open up the other aspects of his offensive game but the the Outside shot is probably going to be kind of the make or break aspect of his game when it comes to year one impact. Yeah, and I I don't know if it makes it easier because there are some guys where it feels like they might be better with the ball in their hands of of like working on their jump shot. But if mm-hmm. he's having the ball in his hand less than he would have at, at Auburn, you feel like that would probably almost at least help him a little bit because uh, he shot like 16% on two-point jumpers last year, I, I believe, off the <laughs> dribble there. So like that's just, I don't know if you want to overburden him. But my question is like this team, so they're clearly like, like they're about their youth so are they going to give him 
like a longer leash this season to go through the motions? Is there a chance that, you know, you do have Dylan Windler, you have Jetty Osmond, but he's like kind of their only true wing at the moment. Is there a chance that maybe mm-hmm. he even starts for most of this year? I don't think he starts to start the year. Uh, it's such a quick turnaround from the draft, and J.B. Bickerstaff really is preaching accountability. It's something we saw as soon as he took over last season where he was not afraid to bench Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson if they weren't performing well at the end of games and did the same thing with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Um, they're in a unique situation where their front court players are experienced, but those guys are reliant on the young guys to produce for them. And I think there's going to be a lot of internal competition among the young players. So I, I think Okoro, just everything I've heard about his work ethic and that, I think he's going to be in the mix for, for real minutes. But to start the season, I, I can see either Jetty Osman or Dylan Windler kind of getting that starting starting nod. Uh, Windler, even though he didn't play last year, he was around the team. He has more familiarity. He's practiced with them more. Um, so I, I think he's going to be in the mix there. But I, I do foresee... Okoro getting minutes because he just brings something that these other guys don't bring to the table. One of the things I missed during this long hiatus was your Twitter feed updates on Colin Sexton's season splits. You've been, <laughs> you've been driving that bandwagon. I feel like I've seen them retweeted into my feed a little bit more the past couple of weeks. I don't know if that's you or other people, but um, are, is he like overlooked at this point? Because there's, we can focus on what he like still needs to work on, but the dude scored over 20 points per game on real efficiency last year, better than 50% on twos, um, over 38% or right exactly at 38% on threes. And I'd sent you the the note was just like only Chris Middleton, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, and Damian Lillard were the other players to just match those splits. And so, no, I'm not saying he is those guys, but like why, like it feels like there might be a building block there for the Cavs. Is there one? And why are people just nationally like so down on them? Is this just a mat like a matter of, well, you don't watch the Cavs enough or we're focusing too much on what he can do, or maybe you don't trust him to create for himself off the dribble, or obviously his passing is just, you know, closer to Jordan Clarkson than it's going to be to like a, a Donovan Mitchell at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I think there, there's a lot of valid criticisms there. I think when you see guys that are scoring on bad teams, a lot of times people will wonder if that's just empty stats, if it's empty calories, someone has to go get the points. And I, I think there's some of that with uh, Colin Sexton. Um, but at the same time, when you're talking about this kind of volume, um, it means something. He was the number one option uh, on the team. And the, as you mentioned, the, the split I love to mention is after the Jordan Clarkson trade, because that was a vote of confidence, both in Colin Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr., that, hey, you can handle more usage. And it was 46 games. So that's not an insignificant sample size where it's 23 and a half points, 3.4 assists, right. 49% from the floor, 43% from three and a 59 true shooting percentage for the year. He scored more points on higher efficiency than Jamal Murray last season. Like, I, I do think that there is potential there, but his playmaking, I don't think it's ever going to get beyond kind of combo guard levels. If he can be in that three to four range, I'm happy with that. Um, he needs to recognize open guys. I don't think he can pass guys open, but as the season progressed, he was getting a little smarter at finding guys. Where it's going to come is on the defensive end, because that was one of the things that he was somewhat known for in Alabama. He has a 6'8 wingspan. He he has the length to make up for what he lacks in size. And that's why I do make a bit of a Donovan Mitchell competition because or comparison because their numbers at that same age are very, very similar. Obviously, Mitchell has taken two leaps since then, um, and there's 
I mean, it'd be silly to expect Sexton to do that. But if Sexton can commit himself to the defensive end, and especially with other guys um, able to kind of help out on offense this year, I, I do think that there is a potential building block there. I, I do think that the scoring is special. And if you add defense to that, you're going to live with combo guard passing because there's going to be other guys that can provide that for you. Right. I mean, if he's not, if you don't view him as like the floor general, let's say, um, he yeah. had a 20% assist rate um, post all-star break. And so like that's for a combo guard, that's fine. What's really, you mentioned Donovan Mitchell. What's funny is that both of these guys were like, yeah, they were known for their offense coming out of college, but their defense was touted and they've just both so far outstripped anything they've done defensively at the NBA level, like um, yeah. on offense. It's just, it's funny. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Well, Indeed is here to help. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of, of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. What's more like, what are you more hopeful for on him improving upon like this season or even long term where it's, you can mention the passing, but there's also the tendency where it feels like his game like stalls out before the rim and then there still is a ways to go on like I think what's really good about him is he can really stroke it on those like catch and shoot threes um but do you trust him to up the volume or take more like create for himself and hit um, a higher clip of his off the dribble jumpers and so just from those three elements like what are you more um, optimistic about his improving just moving aside from obviously uh, what you just talked about defensively yeah, I, I'm optimistic about him getting to the rim. Uh, he has added just a ridiculous amount of muscle this year. Um, like he, <laughs> he looks like a freaking tank. Like it, it's he's kind of got that that Marcus Smart work ethic, and that was a big thing that the Cavs were attracted uh, to him by. And same thing with Isaac Coro. Um, the Cavs shooting staff. I, I I feel confident in his jumper at this point. Um, it, it's part of the reason why I really like the Okoro fit because the Cavs have turned around the jump shot of Colin Sexton, Jetty Osmond, Larry Nance Jr. Um, God, even Tristan Thompson was hitting threes, although I, I won't rush to uh, use him as an example. Um, but th- they got good player development staff, and I, I think Sexton's ability to get to the rim, draw more fouls, that that's really going – you're going to see more of that this season. Um uh, basketball index, I think they had Sexton in the 85th percentile finishing at the rim, which he was getting blocked a lot of and started to make some adjustments and he really wanted to work on his finishing. So if he's getting to the rim drawing fouls, I think his efficiency is going to go up. But more than anything, I really want to see the growth on the defensive end because I, I think that's going to be the difference maker. And you, uh, people will mention Portland as a comp for the Garland Sexton backcourt. I really like to think of it more as the Conley Mitchell comp because uh, Mitchell is a good comparison for Sexton physically. Like they're both six one, big wingspan. Um, they they were known for <laughs> for similar things, and and the numbers are so similar that okay, you're probably not going to be the scorer Mitchell is, um, but you can be a very good scorer. And if you're contributing on the defensive end 
hey, we, we, we got something there. That It makes it a whole lot easier to give you serious minutes if we're trying to win. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr., I think, came became like, I don't want to say like the most interesting, but people seemed more and more intrigued in him as the year went on, where like there was talk, it felt like, could he be the best of like the three main prospects that were there of Garland, Sexton, and KP, KPJ? Uh, absolutely unleashed before his knee injury under Bickerstaff. I think when I was looking for this, I think he shot like 35 or 36% on off the dribble threes during that time, which is just huge to have that level of creation. What is like, is one does he of the three players does he have the highest ceiling as like a self creator off the dribble and just like what is once he's um like what is the role for him this season that you envision this team trying to uh carve out for him yeah so i i think he does have the highest upside the Cavs have communicated that they believe that he's the highest upside player that they have uh he's probably the lowest floor as well um there are obviously off the court concerns um but i'm not yeah. sure if you're familiar but uh crashed his vehicle fell asleep at the wheel yep. and uh had a gun in the um in the vehicle uh also had an uh, assault uh situation as well although there were no charges pressed um but knowing that and knowing the Cavs are really emphasizing trying to develop culture and and accountability I, I think he's going to have a bit of a road to kind of work his way back into the trust of the coaching staff uh coming into this season what they anticipate doing with him is having him come off the bench and kind of being that OKC Harden get more reps initiating the offense from the bench right because you're not going to get those same type of looks uh, if you're in the starting five just by the nature of this team. So, hey, you're going to get more uh, looks off the bench. You're, you're going to get a run a bit of the offense. Maybe you're playing alongside Dante Exum, uh, who, who can help assist you there as well. Um, so I, I do still expect that he's going to have a good season. He had a good offseason before um, the, those issues came up. But it, it's going to be a, a bit of a journey for him to try to earn back the trust of the coaching staff and and earn those minutes because it, I, it's hard to not be a little disappointed with the, the way that this offseason went yeah and they didn't even like he was with the team I mean he wasn't with the team but then all of a sudden he was but nothing's actually been resolved and so like that was sort of weird where it was like well what went into that decision making like why was he like not there and then now all of a yeah, sudden he is he, he was he was there but he wasn't practicing so I, I think that they, they've been ma uh, handling things internally with him. I, I think there, there's probably some guidance that the team is providing him. Um, I mean, you, you look at kind of the history of this team and there's the unfortunate situation with Delonte West. And obviously th these aren't apples to apples situations, but I, I think the organization more than being upset and looking to punish, I, I think they also want to make sure that he does have the support structure and the guidance and, and look after him. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of kind of the rationale that he's around the team, but they're they're trying to get him, um, bring him back in the, the right way and make sure that those support structures are in place. So I, I think that's probably more of it than him uh, being missing like James Harden was. <laughs> right. Uh for him, are they going to be like more inclined to maybe keep him within the backcourt rotation now that you have Windler and Okoro and even um, Jetty Osmond available? Or do you think that they still view what he's able to do on defense? Um, where it did seem like he held up from the games that I watched, like again, against like certain yeah. actual sized wings. Is he still going to be playing plenty of three this year once he's fully reintegrated? Yeah, I, I mean, he, he was listed at 6'4 last season. Um, they, they, they have measured him. He's over 6'6 now, so he's firmly a wing. But I, I still think they view him long term as a shooting guard. 
Um, he, he did play, I think, like 75% of his minutes last year at small forward, but that was kind of out of necessity. So I do see them using him in the the kind of backcourt rotation. Um, even though Garland and Sexton are, are going to be starting together, I, I do see them kind of staggering minutes. Uh, once J.B. Bickerstaff took over, those guys like uh, Garland and Sexton played like 10 minutes together, and then they each played 15 minutes uh, with Kevin Porter Jr. each w- without the other on the floor. And I, I kind of anticipate more of that. I, I think they're going to try to play around with a lot of different combinations to see what works. Um, when it comes to those young guys, I, I really think the approach they're going to have is you guys are getting your 27 minutes a night. But if you want to get more than that, you're going to have to at least attempt to do the right things, not necessarily play well, but take the right shots, make the right passes, mm-hmm. contribute on the defensive end. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to close. And that was the mentality J.B. Bickerstaff had when he took over. And that, from everything we've heard, they're going to continue with that this season. Darius Garland is the player personally, or prospect personally on this roster that I have like sub-zero feel for at the moment. And so I think mm-hmm. you look at his three-point shooting like relative to the volume, I think that's fantastic Like as a rookie, but... Like, what do you envision for the, the rest of his game? What are you looking for um, from him this year? Did it look like the game slowed down for him at all, like, as the season wore on? Like, well, what is the what, what is the skinny on Darius Garland? Yeah, you, you look at the last two months, and he was adger- averaging about 14 and 5. Um, I, I think it's important to note that he was not healthy last season, like, at all. Um, he had two surgeries in the offseason. He wasn't there for training camp. He came midway through preseason. He didn't have his conditioning. He was still in like a high schooler's body. Um, he just wasn't right. And the confidence wasn't there. The thing that impressed me was he is someone that can actually pass guys open. Like he made good reads. He has good feel for the game. Uh, but with how tentative he was, it, it really made things difficult. Like, 14 and five is nice, but like you're looking at kind of DJ Augustine numbers at that point. Um, I, I think there's a lot of optimism. Uh, he was kind of the standout star in the, the mini camp bubble that they had. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. Said he was the best player there. Like flat out was the best player there. Um, and he's apparently only got better. He's put on 17 pounds of muscle, uh, not the cliche 15. He put on an extra two. He, he went the extra mile, Dan. Uh, but (laughs) like, I, what I foresee is, okay, now that he's healthy, it kind of reminds me of Jamal Murray's rookie season in Denver where he had the abdominal issue and he wasn't quite right. These are guys that, like, they're shooters. We know they can shoot. <laughs> Their jumper is so pretty, that thing's going to go in. If he's assertive and he's able to actually create that offense for himself, I don't think it's unrealistic to see that 14-5 and five go to 17-7. and seven. Like, I, I think he can... Um, create more opportunities for other guys once he becomes a threat. Um, so I, I'm really, really confident in Garland coming into this season. I personally think that he's a better prospect than Sexton. Although at this okay. point, Sexton, after what he's actually accomplished right. in the NBA, that that floor is pretty high. Like I, I don't think his worst case scenario at this point is six man. Uh, and I mean, for Garland, it feels like he, like he should have the cleanest opportunity just of the three because it's, like he is the only one of the three that you can envision being like that actual floor general. And the Cavs don't. Really He's the have, only point guard on yeah, the team. I was about to say, who else is going to challenge him for that spot? Like it's not Exum, it's not Delhi. Yeah, like. <laughs> um. So if you're we're going with those, like for oh, what's also weird about Garland too is so we played we played four or five games in college before his torn yeah. meniscus. So like 
he has that long layoff and then isn't in training camp with the Cavs, like into his rookie season. Then he has this other huge layoff now and it's an abbreviated yeah. training camp. So it's great that he's healthy and stuff, but like that's a rough start. And it's other players are going through the same, but like that's just a rough start to the career where he hasn't had like a, a regular off season to just work at his game under normal circumstances. Like, yeah, he was, he's healthy this off season. And apparently like I said, put on 17 pounds of muscle, but like he couldn't do that in a regular setting, obviously yeah. just because of the play. So um, yeah, he, he still it's going to take some time for him to get back to game speed. And I'm grateful looking at the schedule that there aren't a whole lot of other teams that they're playing right away that went through the bubble because those teams are going to be rusty, too. But he's got to figure out, hey, now that I'm more explosive, I'm it's going to take a little while for me to calm myself down to, to see the game uh, a little bit slower and kind of manage uh, the team because that's what his responsibility is going to be so it is going to be interesting but I, I do think that he's well set up at this point uh, to, to kind of uh, change the, the perception of, of what he is because I, I think he really kind of flew under the radar after being pretty highly touted coming into the draft my clickbait question of the podcast is so go, having looked at these four prospects now like how would you rank them like looking at their long-term outlooks or even just importance to the team going forward yeah, so I, I think if I can cheat on this question a little bit, I, I want to do kind of floor and upside. Okay. Because uh, I, I think for um, a floor standpoint, uh, I think Sexton is probably the highest floor on the team. Uh, Okoro, I'd go second, Garland, and then Kevin Porter Jr. Upside, probably KPJ and Okoro first, just because wings have a higher impact in today's NBA. Um, and then uh, Garland and Sexton after that. So um, I'm... I'm high on Sexton. I'm I'm high on this group. It's actually kind of funny because I'm a big fan of the guys that they've picked. The only one I wasn't a fan of was Sexton. I hated the pick. I, I was really, really against it. And just over the last two years, uh, he's really kind of swung me. I'm like, especially when he started scoring at that level, I was like, okay, this is actually something that's noteworthy and I should probably recalibrate my thinking a little bit. Yeah, I'll be, I'd be interested to see if he has like another season, like he just did. Uh, he's extension eligible after this year. I'd just be curious. Um, oh, he's if, getting paid. Yeah, he's I'm just, paid I'd, to see what the number is, just because like those, like if you're going to shoot 38% from three and score 20 points a game, like you're going to get paid. Like it doesn't matter like what you're, you know, viewed yeah. on and just the lexicon of like player rankings or anything like you're just going to get paid. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's how he performs on defensive end is basically going to determine how nauseous I am at the deal, but he, he's going to get paid. Then the nice thing about him, and this is part of the, the draft philosophy that the Cavs have had, is Kobe Altman's very involved with Team USA. And a lot of these guys, kind of the tie-breaking decision maker was, hey, is this guy going to be someone that's going to be happy in Cleveland? Is this guy a hard worker? Sexton uh, had a lot of praises. One of the hardest workers they've seen in the program. Same with um, Darius Garland. They, they had a lot of intel on him because he went through Team USA. And these guys have relationships with each other. Garland and KPJ are close friends. Sexton and Okoro are close friends. Garland's close with everyone on the team. <laughs> the nice thing about doing that is, one, you have more intel. You, you have a better sense of who they are as prospects through Team USA. The other part is if you start hitting on like two or three of these picks, they're already friends with each other. They don't have yeah. to leave Cleveland to team up. That's a good which, point. Which is kind of, yeah, it's kind of a nice position to be in. And it makes an internal competition uh a little easier to have as well because these guys are pushing each other and they're all kind of invested in each other's success while still uh, kind of maintaining that competitive edge. 
The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division odds, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. I will say, going back to that 2018 draft, I remember being happy the Cavs took him because I wanted the Knicks to take Mikael Bridges or Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, they took neither of them, so it doesn't really matter. And the Cavs ended up getting the better player. But that was I was just so unbelievably low on Sexton, and then just last year just completely flipped me on him. Like just that. I, I tweeted that level anyone but Sexton. I tweeted anyone but Sexton in brackets. It's going to be Sexton on that <laughs> draft night. I really wanted Shea. Um, I know he didn't want to work out for the Cavs and said he wouldn't play there. Um, I still thought you should take him because, hey, Steph Curry said that to the Warriors and it kind of worked out as well. So uh, these guys don't exactly have a lot of control. And I mean, he forced his way to L.A. and then he went to OKC. So. You, 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 the, the illusion of control right. is, is all you really have. That's why I, I sort of laughed when this is only tangentially related, but like teams weren't apparently picking Tyrese Halliburton because he wanted to go to the Kings. And I spoke <laughs> with Greg Wissinger on the Kings podcast about this. Um, if I were the Kings, I would question his decision-making if that's what he was trying to do. Oh, I want to play yeah. for you. So I would have taken, I would have taken him anyway. So, um, but that is totally off topic here. Dylan Windler actually going to play this year after coming back yeah. from um, that fracture in his left leg. What is What can we expect from him? Are they going to bring him along super slowly? And, and what part of his game uh, really interests you the most relative to the fit with the rest of this roster? You can expect a rich man's Duncan Robinson. <laughs> no, I, th- I, think, I thought it was you, and I can't remember. When he was in summer league, I saw someone call him like Caucasian Jimmy Butler. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't remember who it was, and I laughed at that. And now It definitely wasn't me. That's funny, though. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, I don't think they're going to bring him along too slowly. Like, maybe some of the minutes are managed, but he is firmly in competition for the starting spot right now. Oh, wow. um, they're they're crazy high on him. Uh, he can shoot the living hell out of the ball. Uh, probably the best shooter on the team. And when you can do that, you, you're going to get minutes because this is guy six seven, really long wingspan, left-handed shooter with a high release point, can create his own shot. Um they're, they're going to find minutes for him, and, and they seem to be pretty happy with kind of his positional defense as well. Um, and he, he's an older player, uh, 24 years old. Uh, so there, there is that that aspect of the Duncan Robinson comp uh, where he's coming in a little bit later in his career. But um, they, they're Except he'll be allowed to dribble, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, J.B. Bickerstaff did mention that he might play some small ball four uh, with, with Larry Nance at the five as well. Um, I, I think they're going to experiment with uh, freakishly big lineups where you have Love, Drummond, and Larry Nance at, at the three. And I, I think you're going to have times where it's Okoro, Windler, Kevin Porter Jr., and maybe Garland uh, with Nance. So uh, I, I think he's going to play kind of primarily as a three-two-four. Um, but there's some, he's someone that they, they feel confident they can move him around in the lineup and they're, they're really high on him. Like I, I, I'm still not convinced he actually exists. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to tomorrow. Um, it, a bit of a running joke in uh cast Twitter that this guy doesn't exist, but we'll see. We'll see if the myth of uh, Windler is all that it's cracked up to be. 
Um, I hope they play the super big lineups um, and the super small lineups back to back, just to like you know really emphasize like yeah, hockey shifted, hockey shifted up, and I mean they played that big lineup last year, and somehow it worked. Destroy it was not. I know it was a small sample size, but they just absolutely annihilated teams, even in a small sample size. Like that's absurd. (laughs) Yeah, and when we had Nance on the podcast, he's like, "All right, yeah, like I shot tens of thousands of threes. Like it's he shot." 35% 35% on a good volume last year, and uh, he, he's confident he can kind of build upon it. He's added uh, some strength uh, kind of below the waist, and he, he's ready to kind of uh, contribute in different ways. So this is uh, it's going to be an interesting season for sure. Uh, so are we going to see some then Thon Maker or McCor, however McCor, however he wants to pronounce, is he going to roll out at the two and they'll just go four uh, things with a small? <laughs> why not? Uh, I, I'm going to be a little surprised if he makes the team. Uh, he is just on a training camp deal, and the Cavs probably want to maintain a roster spot. They might do what they did with Alfonso McKinney, where it's just a, a series of non-guaranteed deals. Uh, bring him back, bring him, uh, cut him, bring him back, cut him, yeah. bring him back. Uh, but I, I think they want to keep, maintain a uh, roster spot because in all likelihood, they are going to be trading Andre Drummond at some point. They came close in the offseason, and they're they're going to try again at the deadline. Because uh, he's a big, big expiring contract, and the Cavs are more than willing to help someone clear up cap space if they'll get assets. So um, I, I think Drummond is an asset play, and they want to maintain that roster flexibility because there's not a whole lot of one-for-one deals with Andre Drummond's contract. No, what is he, 27-5 or 28? What does he add? Yeah. He's, he's high. Um, I am surprised Dwayne Casey didn't resign in Detroit after they let Maker walk. Uh, he was just intent upon <laughs> playing him ahead of Christian Wood for so long. But uh, so... What does Jenny Osmond now like? What is his fit with the team long term? They did extend him and he did shoot the ball well last year, but now I'm just looking at this roster and it's not that he doesn't make sense, but I'm like, does he he really shouldn't be starting now, right? Like, I feel like he should just be coming off the bench when you're looking at like all the other guys that are now on this team. Yeah, I I mean, Jenny was extended, his contract reflects that of an eighth man, which is what he is, but. Unfortunately, for the last two years, he's been their primary stopper on the perimeter, and I'll put that in air quotes. Um, He's been overmatched, and uh, I'm excited to see him in kind of a more manageable role. But when you kind of look at this, you got a lot of guys that are going to be playing perimeter minutes on this team, and they're going to have another lottery pick this year in all likelihood. And you look at this draft class, and it's all wings. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Jetty was kind of tied to either Kevin Love or Andre Drummond in a trade to kind of up the value there uh, in a return. But other than that, while he's here, I see it kind of a a similar role to what Windler has of, okay, you'll play a little 3-2-4. We'll we'll maybe play him a little bit more at the four because he he is a bit stronger and uh, has more experience. But um, I I think he's going to be able to contribute. Uh, He's going to be in the mix for starting at least at the start of the year until or Okoro gets caught up on on the playbook and uh, is a little more comfortable. Um, but long term, no, the, the, he's going to be a rotation player for this team. And yeah, I mean, he's a great depth piece to have. And I, I think a lot of teams would be happy to have him come off the bench, uh, including Cleveland. Um, but it's the the, tr- the fit's getting a little tricky when you have so many kind of young mouths that you want to get as many reps as possible. And if they want to keep playing him at the three, it feels like coming off the bench is just the better fit for him then where he doesn't have to go up as heavily against starting caliber wings, which he's just yeah. not equipped no. to defend. No, no, no. Poor, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> so the question that I delayed as long as I could, 
what's what's happening with the Kevin Love situation this year? Is this the season they actually move him? Um, in the interim, regardless of what happens, do you see him being like more on board um, with the direction of this roster than he was last season? Because there, some of the stuff I think um, a lot of Cavs reporters uh, pointed out was like um, being dramatized, but it did feel like there was a level of he just didn't want to be there at some point, or at least didn't want to be under um, you know John Beeline. Like maybe that maybe that was the the, the primary issue there. Yeah, I mean, there was frustration with him. There's been tons of frustration over the last two years. Uh, I think poor Colin Sexton was, and some of this was on him, but he was also a 19-year-old player. Um, I don't think no matter who they drafted, Kevin Love is going to be happy because it's such a difference from going to the finals for four straight years. And um, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but you got veterans in the front court with Love, Drummond, and Nance, but those guys are reliant on the young guys to get them their touches get them good looks and they haven't been equipped to do that and as the season progressed last year whether it be the the bayline factor whether it be sexton and garland playing better um it did become more manageable for kevin love but i i think i think you're not going to see as many outbursts because there's just more talent there it's going to be a more enjoyable experience for him but i, I think both sides would prefer to, to move on um i i think love himself has acknowledged that he had bad moments last year. He had moments where he lost his patience. He he didn't ha- keep his composure as a leader. And he owned up to that to his credit. Like, I, I think it, it's something that a lot of fans could emphasize with because it wasn't the easiest season. Um, so hopefully there's going to be less of that. I think ultimately it's going to come down to whether or not there is a offer with some value. I think the most likely time that he gets moved is next offseason. Okay. Uh because there's going to be teams that are going to strike out in free agency and they're going to be looking to make a move and there's going to be one less year on that contract. Yep. And I, I mean you saw Al Horford move and <laughs> that contract's just as bad if not worse. Um and the the Cavs are, are going to manage him as well. They're not going to play him in back to backs. I think they have the same strategy with Andre Drummond and I think part of that mentality is hey we want to maintain their health for a trade. Um, last year at the deadline, the best offers that were out there were basically expiring contracts for love and they don't want to just move him to get off the money. They, they want to at least get some value in return. So once a team comes up with that kind of an offer where they either get a young rotation player that that's worth caring about to some extent or a first round pick of some kind, uh, they'll, they'll hang on to him. Yeah, I mean, look, two years and 60.2 million is a lot different than three years, 91.5 on paper, yeah. too. So that should yeah. be easier to move. It's also tough because right now, like you, and this was the case last season, you don't look at any one team and identify them as being one Kevin Love away from like really entering the the title discussion right now. And I think a lot of that speaks to like just the direction of the NBA, where the stuff Kevin Love does is still super valuable. But if you play him at the four, like you need a very specific type of five. If you want to play him at the five, you need a very specific type of like bunch of wing defenders around him. So I think that makes it difficult. So if you had to peg between him and Andre Drummond, you would say that Drummond's the one that's more likely to be moved this season? Drummond's going to get traded. Drummond's 100% going to get traded. He's not. They discussed an extension with him to at least kind of get uh, a sense and credit to Evan Damerall at uh, Forbes. Uh, he mentioned basically what the Cavs were offering uh, overall was basically what Drummond was looking at over the course of a deal per year. Uh, so th- there was a massive, massive gulf uh, between uh, what the Cavs thought he was worth and, and what he was expecting. So it's 
I, I mean, it, I, I think that he's going to get moved. I think some team is going to see him, A, as a rental uh, for a couple months, and B, as a way to clear up $30 million in cap space for just a fantastic free agency class. Even if Giannis isn't in there, uh, teams are going to want to kind of clear up that space. So I think uh, there is going to be some market for Drummond. And I think ultimately it was an asset play for the Cats. Uh, I think they wanted, yeah. I I think they wanted to see what Drummond would look like for the final twenty years. I, they they wanted to see what the guards would look like playing with a big like that, um, someone that they could use in the pick and roll a little more aggressively than Tristan Thompson. Um, but then COVID cut those plans short. So, I mean, when you give up Brandon Knight and John Henson for Andre Drummond. As long as you get a better return for Andre Drummond than you would have got for those two guys at the trade deadline last year, uh, the move worked out in the end because, I mean, the they one nice it, thing about they, being a Cavs fan is Dan Gilbert's willing to pay the money, so right. why not take this opportunity? They, I just remember when that trade broke and like it was broken without the details, and I didn't understand it. And then I was shocked that like that's what – I knew his value wasn't high, but they, they got him for a second-round pick and expirings. That's what it ended up being, right? Yeah, it was John Henson, Brandon Knight, and yeah. a second-round pick. And, like, earlier in that day, the conversation was, okay, maybe the Knicks are going to give up Neil Aquina for John Henson. Uh, like, the discussion happened, uh, um, but obviously the Knicks didn't want to go forward with that. Um, but then all of a sudden it turned into Andre Drummond, which was surprising as hell. Um, just as an aside, I would die for Frank Neil Aquina, so I'm glad that he's... I actually think he needs to be oh, on a different man, team than a player. But... For him. I'd, I'd <laughs> love to have Frankie Smokes on the team. I was, I was really hoping that something would happen this summer. And so I guess what you're getting at, though, is that the Cavs are willing to take back bad money, and that's where, you know, the that trade has the poten- the Drummond trade specifically has the chance to be like even more worthwhile for them is they wouldn't have had those other guys under contract now. And you have this salary magnet at the moment that if you're willing to take on long-term money at a time where, yeah, I would say already 2021 free agency is just looking less rosy when you have um, LeBron's yeah. already off the board, PG's off the board, Giannis could be off the board. Teams are still going to want, there's, there's other good players there. And so if your team like Cleveland, that's actually willing to take on, money and isn't concerned with cap space that summer my guess is at some point and even it might just be a team that needs to save money because of like they're being just destroyed by um the absence of um revenue in the stands at the moment yeah it feels like the Cavs could be set up i don't know what they end up getting it depends on how bad the contract is but there are you know there there are a few and not more than a few pretty um albatross deals out there at the moment yeah yeah, and, and they had talks for Gordon Hayward, for Andre Drummond. The, that was reported that they discussed that. Um, there there was talk Nick Batum um, get involved in that trade somehow with Andre Drummond. Like, there, there were options out there. They, they weren't able to get one done yet. But I, I now kind of foresee them going into the deadline where, hey, now there's half, <laughs> half as much money on that contract. And now you can clear up some space. So, I mean, the... The flaws of Dad Gilbert are pretty well publicized, but the difference between Cleveland and a team like Indiana is if Cleveland gets good stuff, they're going to pay. Like it, we, You know that Dan Gilbert's going to spend a lot of money, even on this bad team. Like They got a lot of future picks because they were willing to take on so much bad money for uh, expiring contracts, and now one of those picks turned into a 2022 unprotected pick from the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis leaves. Hey, that pick gets interesting as hell. Uh, and that was just for George Hill. So the, the Cavs have shown a willingness to take on money. And by all reports, they are still willing to take on bad money. So they'll, uh, they'll be in the mix for a lot of trades. 
Uh, it would be funny if it ends with them trading Andre Drummond to get Gordon Hayward because Charlotte realizes they can't handle that contract they stretched Nick Batum for. So yeah. in, in the meantime, uh, who plays a bigger role for this team? Is it going to be Nance or or Drummond? I, I think that's an interesting question. So I, I'm going to say Larry Nance, and the reason, even though he's going to be coming off the bench, he is now the vocal leader of this team. Uh, he, he's somebody that they really look up to. He, he's born and raised in Cleveland, loves the city, uh, very active in the community. And I mean, until one of the young guys kind of steps up, he's kind of the face of the franchise at this point. Like mm-hmm. he, he is a, at least that vocal voice for the team. And with no Tristan Thompson, they, they need someone to step up. I, I think they learned from the mistakes of the post-decision rebuild by not having any adults in the room. And they've tried to emphasize that. That was part of the rationale of extending Kevin Love after LeBron left. That was part of why they paid Larry Nance. They, they wanted him to be that presence. And I, I think his versatility coming off the bench is really, really valuable. Uh, you, you look at uh, PIPM uh, last year, and Nance was the most impactful player on the team. Um, the the biggest thing for him was they stopped playing him at center, which I was screaming for. I was like, hey, this guy's going to have more impact once he's playing at power forward, which now it looks like he's going to be doing that uh, primarily for the foreseeable future. And look, if he's going to hit like 35% of his threes, like that's just an absolutely on, on actual volume. That's a, that's just a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. And- no, no kidding. And look, there's no such thing as like a real, basically off-limits player in this league. But as you kind of mentioned, since he's like this cultural touchstone for them now, is he someone that they probably really wouldn't be too open? I don't even want to say open, but like it feels like he's someone teams will want to target at the trade deadline if they're smart. Well, they got they got yeah. so many offers for him uh, okay. in the offseason. Like every team was coming and calling him about Larry Nance. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they're not eager to move him. Uh, they would kind of have to really be blown away um, to 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 move on from him both for on and off court reasons do uh damian dotson or dante exon will either of those guys have a shot at slash sticking with this team actual minutes this year i like the dotson pick up another guy who with uh some questionable on uh off court history but he's like he holds up positionally on defense and he can hit threes i thought just from a basket pure basketball perspective i thought it was wild the knicks didn't give him a, a qualifying offer and that the Cavs were able to scoop them up um like they did yeah, that's a really nice depth piece. Like that can give you kind of that microwave bench score that also plays some defense. Like everybody they brought in this offseason plays defense. And I, I think there's you, you can read into that. They've been historically bad on that end. They believe in the internal growth, but they want guys that can contribute on that end. And if you're going to hold Garland, Kevin Porter Jr. and all these other guys accountable in defensive end, you need to have a rotation player on the bench that you can bench them for that's going to play defense. So I do think uh, Exum and Dotson are going to be getting some minutes. Uh, I know they've been experimenting with three-guard lineups with Exum kind of playing at the three a little bit. Um, the, the, the question with him is going to be health. Um, if yeah. he's healthy, he's going to play. If he's not, Dotson's going to play more, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> And he's like, when Exum's been healthy, like he's been really good on defense. Like, the, like the, everyone's going to remember him shutting down James Harden, but like he can guard actual wings. Uh, I don't know. He, he's going to give back like a lot on offense just because there's not a lot he could do there. But if he's healthy, uh, now all of a sudden the Cavs like have these, I don't know if you want to call all of them high impact defenders, but just a bunch of guys who could defend, which is just something that like, I don't think you could have said you're a few months ago. You're not buying into... You're not buying into Exum's offensive upside? Do you, do you not remember his Cavs debut? 28 points. 
Um, I'm, I, I do, I'm not buying into it. I'm not buying. I was gonna say I do not remember his Cavs debut. I forgot. I think when I was going to this outline, I like remembered he was on the Cavs. That that is my Dante <laughs> Exum. Um, that's what that's the space he's occupying in my brain right now. So I remember Jazz Twitter having a good laugh at him going to the Cavs and immediately scoring 28 points. I think he had like four four threes or something stupid like that too. It was it was pretty funny. Utah like believed in him or he had something on GM Dennis Lindsay because they just gave him like basically three years and 30 million when there could not have been a market for him like even within that realm. Um, and well, anytime the Jazz overpay a guard, he's going to Cleveland. <laughs> That's the way. This so Clarkson's works. coming back is what you're saying. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Um, so I know this will be matchup based, but if it's a close game, what do you envision being like their best or most used closing lineup? All right, I'm going to answer this mid-season because uh, I think it's going to take Okoro some time, but I, I do think that he's going to be in that lineup. I think it's going to be Garland, Sexton, Okoro, Love, Drummond. Um, I, I think that's probably their best look. Um, maybe they end up going with Kevin Porter Jr. there, but uh, you, you look at kind of the on-off numbers. KPJ and Sexton were just horrifically bad last year together. Like those, that pairing just sucked. Uh, they could not generate offense together, even though both of them are talented at generating individual offense. Uh, whereas Garland and KPJ, I think it's something to keep an eye on, but they were a net positive together when Sexton wasn't on the floor, which it's not easy to find net positive pairings right. on last year's Cavaliers. Um, but I, I do, I'm, I'm a believer in both Garland and Sexton coming into the season. I, I think, um, all, all the buzz, everything we've heard is that those two are looking really good and are dedicating themselves on the defensive end because I don't know if you want to call Garland twice as good or if you want to call him half as bad, probably half as bad is more accurate, but his defensive BIBM was half as bad as Sexton's and his positional defense was good. Like he's got a wingspan. He, he's, he was in the right spots. He just weighed like 170 pounds soaking wet and just like wasn't physically there. So if he's playing decent positional defense and Sexton's dedicated himself on that end, um, I, I, I can see what they bring on the offensive end being enough to earn them the kind of that closing role. Is there, and you kind of already mentioned this when you talked about playing Larry Nance with four smalls, but is there like a quirky lineup um, aside from the three big combination that you're hoping they test out at any point this season? Um. I think any quirky lineup has to include the man of mystery, Dylan Windler. Uh, so let, let's go with Nance and Windler as the, the two quote-unquote bigs. Uh, <laughs> let's throw Okoro, uh, Okoro, Kevin Porter Jr., and Garland. I, I think that's that's a fun, weird lineup. So Garland, KPJ, Okoro, Windler, and Nance. Uh, I think that could be a lot of fun. I would pick that same one, but have Sexton in for Garland. I don't know if you have enough playmaking. That, that would also then, be fun. But yeah. 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 I mean, it's a whole lot of secondary playmakers at that point. Like, even Larry Nance is a pretty good passer for a big man. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that works. Um, but yeah, that's uh, e- either of those lineups could be a lot of fun. Factoring in whatever you want, like whether it's um, big additions or subtractions, you know, does this does this end with them giving up every one we just talked about for James Harden? But whatever, factoring <laughs> in whatever, what's a realistic win total for this team this year? Um, so I'm hoping this season, like I, I think they're they're going to be around 25 to kind of high 20s wins. Um, I am optimistic. I, I think it's going to fall off a little bit after the trade Drummond. Um, just because you're probably going to become a worse team at that point, even though you could probably debate Andre Drummond's impact. 
Um, but I think the goal for this season is, okay, you're creating some accountability. Um, you, you're developing better habits. You're learning how to win. I think this is a team that's going to be competitive in a lot of games, but not yet know how to close them out. Um, and hopefully, I mean, you do that and the, the young guys kind of iron out some of those bad habits this year. You go into the draft with another high pick. Maybe you get some lottery luck. You have cap space, probably, depending on what happens with Andre Drummond, but you'll at least have enough to kind of fill out the roster. And who knows, maybe then you do what Atlanta did only at the appropriate time in your rebuilding uh, arc and uh, make make a run for the playoffs the following season. Like, I, I think the goal for this year shouldn't be routed in wins. It should be, is this viewed as a young up-and-coming team with prompts or are the young guys establishing themselves as good young players and if they can do that um I, I think the future can be decent enough for cleveland if i set the over under on the number of teams with a worse record in the east than the Cavs this year at 2.5 are you taking the over or the under oh my god that's tough i'm taking the over um but not by much <laughs> it make me a little bit nervous um I think they're probably going to be a bottom five team in the league, but that's probably third worst in the East. Uh, Maybe fourth worst in the East at this point. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> as long as they're bottom seven, though, the lottery odds are flat enough that I'm comfortable with it. So that that's kind of where I foresee them being. But hey, if they overachieve, like if they go out there and they're better than even my optimistic projections, I'm not going to be mad at that because, like, you look at the final eight in last year's playoffs and these are teams that built from the middle they relied on player development they didn't have a lot of high picks um i i think right now there's more talent coming into the nba than there's ever has been and the emphasis has to be on player development and culture you're, you're not going to get bailed out by high lottery picks so I'm, I'm not in a position to complain because if you're winning when you're relying on these young guys to initiate so much of the offense that probably means one of them at least one of them right. is a building block it only makes sense to get mad if they overachieve because they've left like Kevin Porter Jr., Colin Sexton, Okoro, and like they're not playing the young guys. Like that's when getting angry makes sense. But if it's the young right. guys who are overachieving, then there's yeah. no like you should add that's if actually the encouraging. dropping thirty and twenty loves playing like he did in Minnesota and they traded for Chris Paul. And that's why they're winning, I'd be a little bit upset. But if it's the young guys, I'm going to be okay with that. Uh, anything I didn't ask you that you want to co cover? Anything that's just maybe nationally underrecognized about this squad? Did you have any strong thought maker takes that you needed to get off right now that you didn't already get off before? No, I'm I'm just going to go back to that word accountability because I mean we were laughing about it when we did our podcast with Larry Nance. It like it came up a million times because that's what they're trying to drill into people's heads, and um, I think. I would be crazy. I mean, I am crazy, but I'd be crazy if I didn't understand that it's going to take even among Cavs fans. It's going to take actually showing that for people to buy in. Like this team needs to create a positive identity that isn't tied to LeBron James. I think that they've done the right decision making. Like uh, the Okoro pick was really encouraging because you had the guy that might have sold tickets that played in Ohio in Obi Toppin. Uh, you had Dan Gilbert's favorite player in the draft, apparently, in Denny Avdia. And they, they went with kind of the strong culture fit, the guy that, that has a crazy work ethic that Kobe Altman knew uh, from Team USA. Uh, they're doing the right things. Just because you have the right process doesn't mean it's going to work out. Some of these guys are going to bust in all likelihood. Um, but 
whether or not they can actually kind of turn the perception of this franchise around is going to be really, really interesting to me. And it's interesting, too, because, I mean, it's tied to the whole identity of the city. Like, the city has been experiencing a boom there. They're, uh, like, I, I went there last year with my wife. She had never been. She isn't online, so she doesn't even know that Cleveland isn't supposed to be a nice place. And She's not online. That sounds like a keeper. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, she's only online on YouTube, so that uh, there's not a whole lot of Cleveland references there uh, outside of the Cleveland tourism video. But um, it's it's an interesting place to be because it, you're not yet at the place where you have legitimate expectations, but there are some expectations because you you have so much young talent. So um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they can make some headway when it comes to turning around the perception of this franchise. And there's, I, I guess there's just a matter of like, they still do need to kind of find their blue chip cornerstone. Like maybe yeah. it's Colin Sexton, maybe it's Garland, maybe it's Kevin Porter. I think they have enough talent. Maybe it's Kate Cunningham. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like, because they have enough talent to really look at. really interesting. If, if right. things work out and they get the, the lottery lock, because um, I, I think people forget when uh, they won the Andrew Wiggins lottery, they won like 35 games and they went 500 after the Bynum trade. Like I would love for one of those seasons where you, you have that late boom and then you get the lottery luck. Um, they, they've kind of got the, uh, I know they're the last team that can ever complain about lottery luck, um, but they, they've got the shit out of the stick the last few years uh, with the new odds. So it'd be nice to see a little bit of basketball karma rewarded because you add Cade to this mix if these guys are, are fun and look out. The challenge for them, because it does feel like just from afar that they've done at least nothing has been malpracticed at this point, but you don't want to get to a point where you don't feel like you've had to stomach a lot of losses and yet you still don't have that blue chip cornerstone. Mm-hmm. And if they don't yeah. get that next year's draft, like say they slide that, like if they have like eight or nine and that might be considered blue chip in this draft, everyone's like um, yeah. over the moon about it. But if they don't have that player, like that's where you worry about them sort of sort circuiting what's happening now in favor of making the the win now play that sets them back without really doing anything meaningful for their needle. Yeah. Yeah. They, they haven't done that kind of typical Cavs win now move. And I mean, you, you'd really hope that someone emerges that you're like, Hey, this is a blue chip guy. Like you, you, you came internally and Holy crap. Like they, they just made the leap this season. That would be ideal. But I, I mean, in all likelihood, all you can really do is like focus on player development and maybe you consolidate, uh, the, the players you have like you might not have a blue chip but maybe you have an all-star and a, another promising starter that you can consolidate for a young blue chip prospect so I, I think especially with the new lottery odds all you can really focus on is player development these days justin this was great thank you for giving me so much of your time if you guys are not following justin on twitter he's at Cavzanada. that's at c-a-v-s-a-n-a-d-a he is the co-host of the chase down pod and he also writes gambling things at Bodog Canada. Justin, thanks again for uh, coming on and uh, rest assured I'll be pestering you again in the future and it probably will be in fewer than two years, I believe. Ho- hopefully, hopefully the cast can get relevant enough for you to invite me back. Oh, always appreciate you having me on, man. Paul, thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well yourself. Um, I am doing well. I can't believe that the league is starting, um, but I also, because as we're recording this, preseason basketball is, is happening. I can't bring myself to get excited about preseason basketball, but it does mean the season is near, and it's starting later, but the season also just ended. Uh, time is nothing and everything at once. I'm just, I'm tripped up all over the place, but I am excited, um, obviously, with everything that happened over the offseason to watch some more meaningful basketball. 
Yeah, uh, I I actually just put on the game for the first time, and it's you know I see here fourth quarter, and, and uh, the Rockets are up like thirty points. So <laughs> this, what, what I am interested interested in seeing right now in the preseason is just kind of what the arenas look like, you know, because right now a lot of the teams don't have any fans, so just kind of seeing the different layouts and like I see here the Bulls game they have it covered the, the seating with like some sort of tarps. Yeah, I was wondering if they could do what they did, like set up something similar in the bubble just to give shooters better sight lines. They'll have them mm-hmm. like organically without fans there, but I heard a lot of players talking about like how nice that just black backdrop was and so if you're not gonna have fans in arenas like can you technically just set those up behind the basket like yeah so that'll be interesting to watch yeah especially like with the spurs they play saturday i'm I'm interested to see what that looks like um speaking of the spurs uh their off season was i would call it mostly uneventful like they you know Mm touch-ups they added um devin vassell they have trey jones they re-signed jacob pertle that uh eubanks is back just based off what they did, how they're not only was there not any major new additions, but just no major changes at all. It does feel like they're going into this season, trying to strike a balance of, Hey, we have young players that we want to groom and develop, but like, we also have these veterans. So we're going to try and stay in the playoff hunt. Is that an accurate snapshot of their direction? Them trying to stat, uh, straddle both of those lines. Yeah. You, you did a really good description there of kind of describing that's exactly where they're at. You know, they weren't going to make any, you know, uh, drastic changes this off season, unless the players made those decisions. So that would have been like Yaka maybe getting uh, a big offer from another team that made the Spurs really think about matching uh, or maybe about DeMar DeRozan, you know, opting out of his player option and instead of becoming an under 60 free agent. Well, since the players actually decided to, to return, it made it easier for, for the, for the management and the team to make sure that they, um, you know, they do stay competitive this season, trying to get into the playoffs. Uh, you know, this new format's going to help them out where they basically have to stay stay with intent uh, at worst uh, for, for themselves and then um you know they have they kind of straddled that line all year where they where, where like coach pop wants to give a lot of the young guys some more minutes like we saw there in the bubble uh back in, in july and august while also staying competitive and really shooting for the playoffs and they're thinking that their team is going to get better because they are bringing back you know trey lyles and lamarcus aldridge mm-hmm. two pieces that were were integral to the, to them uh you know before the pandemic happened uh, last season so so they are kind of playing those that, that, both, both of those lines I, I would say and, and they really have a choice you know dur- during the season I know we're going to get into some of this later on in the, in the episode but they have those choices of like you know they, they can easily just punt the season away if they need to at any time or they continue to try to basically get into that you know get into a playoff spot throughout the year and, and the main thing from what I what I would take away in terms of like their you know their very quiet offseason is the fact that they they set themselves up nicely for next offseason when they are going to have some max, max cap space so I think that's why we didn't see any drastic changes with them because again they don't want to ruin that cap space that, that 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 amount of open cap space that should be there for them next uh, offseason yeah and that's also why it's like kind of okay like because sometimes straddling two lines can be dangerous but like they're they're going to reach like an organic reset point whatever that reset point might entail when they have they have four huge expiring contracts coming off the books um as mm-hmm. of right now and aldridge derose and mills and uh rudy gay so like it does make some sense there um i am interested to see if the 2021 free agency class keeps getting worse though with all these guys yeah. that have extensions <laughs> Um, does it get harder though? So like in the bubble, you don't have LaMarcus Aldridge, you didn't have Trey Lyles, didn't they? They basically, they told Patty Mills he wasn't going to play. Does it get harder now then to integrate the youngsters? Yeah, I mean, the, the preseason, they're going to be okay because actually they're dealing with some injuries to some of their core players. So, like, D- Keldon Johnson won't be there in the preseason. Derek White's going to miss. So those are two p- pieces who will be there, you know, when the season really starts. Uh, so, so it's going to be some sort of, like, um, slow integration in terms of getting – adding two guys who who, ha- who were part of the team before the pandemic. And, and like I said, in Aldridge and, and Trey Lyles, while – you know, they saw Kelton make a leap there in the offseason. They saw Lonnie Walker, I mean, in the, in the bubble. They saw Lonnie Walker. They saw Derek White. All these young guys really made a lot of growth there in the bubble, and they want to keep that format, that kind of pace.
pace that's not really centered around a half court style offense, a lot of mid range stuff. It's more, you know, um, more attacking the rim kind of things. I, I know that, you know, we, we like to say it's more of a spread out type of offense, but it is really not. They don't take that many threes with this system, but they're at least spreading it out, the, 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 uh, the offense, on, and, and they're just really attacking the rim, getting to the free throw line, getting inside the paint, and then being more versatile on defense. So, so it is going to be um, interesting to see what these lineups look like. You know, I, I think that even just trying to, I could the other, like, I was writing a piece recently, and I was trying to figure out the starting lineup, and I came, came to the conclusion that I think that Derek, DeJounte, DeMar, and LaMarcus will for sure be the four starters. So then you're kind of wondering, you know, how do they go with the fifth starter? Is, is it Jakob in a traditional lineup, or is it maybe like Lonnie Walker, Kelton Johnson to keep it small and, you know, you know more versatile? So that's why the, the, it's going to be a really interesting um, um, team to watch, especially, like I said, with Aldridge, because he does like to go into the post. Mm-hmm. Right now, him, him and Coach Pop and all the players, they're saying the right things. They're saying that, you know, he's popping out to three. Jakob Pertle just yesterday, he had said uh, in his interview that um, – that you know, it's actually tough to guard Aldridge now because he's pop, he's picking and popping the three so much that it pulls him away from the rim, and it's hard to play defense against Aldridge this way. So we'll see. Uh, like I said, you know, I really got to see it to believe it because I, I know Aldridge increases his his attempts from three last year um, after like January. But again, you know, is it a really a natural thing for him to actually pick and pop consistently from three? Is it natural for him now to actually give up a lot of that that post up offense that he really likes to go to? Yeah, I feel like you can almost pinpoint the exact game where Aldridge's shot selection just changed, like because the increase <laughs> in three-point volume for him and sort of the team at large like it was pretty stark at one point last season mm-hmm. and you had kind of mentioned this already like about the the speed at which they were playing in the bubble um per unpredictable they were fourth in average possession time I don't even the bubble feels like somehow eight years ago so I don't even remember that they were playing <laughs> that fast do you think that's gonna be I don't think that you're gonna if you're gonna have Aldridge on the court for a bunch I don't know that you could commit to playing at a, at a similar speed now but are they going to be like committed though to, to, to getting out in transition more maybe if it's even a matter of they're just trying to be more optimistic um on live balls as opposed to you know just inbounding the ball and really trying to go wire to wire uh, from the jump yeah i think so i mean i mean based on again all, all we have right now is what they're saying in the interviews of interviews of players you know we're not getting a lot of video out of, out of, out of those inter, out of those practices those close practices so we don't really know what, how they're actually you know setting up lineups and things like that and how they're pushing the pace but again from what the players are saying and, and what coach Papa said is yes they do want to be way more energetic they want to get out on the on the break a lot more uh, really de- uh, defend first and then get out and, and kind of just almost like read and react you know not really have a lot one of the things that a lot of the players there was like four players who really who really harped on this in their interviews this these past two weeks is that they really said that the biggest difference that they saw it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the pace even though you know it felt like they were playing faster it was the fact that coach pop really really let them um kind of he didn't he didn't force them to run a lot of half court sets he let them kind of just read and react like i said just kind of attack the defense wherever they felt like the weakest point was and quickly get to the rim or try to get to the free throw line and that was something a lot of the players said that that normally under pop you know it's tough because he's kind of he's kind of the game manager where he wants a lot more half court offense he wants to be calling plays nonstop. and so because of that you know they really got to just kind of pick apart and play a lot more pick and roll and and just uh just kind of uh drive in and then kick out kind of offense um and so that was really good for them and i think that's where you see a lot of that um you know the the uh, the, the 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 increase in pace, but then also the fact that they're playing better defenders now. You know they don't have Marco Bellinelli anymore. They don't have Bryn Forbes anymore. So a lot of their their players that where they had some some defensive issues, uh, they have just a lot of long um, young wing players. So those players are going to defend well, get the rebounds, and then of course they're, they're all a lot of the younger ones are going to get out like Lonnie Walker, um, Kelton Johnson. They're just going to get out on the break, and so it's easier to feed them. So I think yeah, that that's definitely something you see from this team. They do tend to, and I, I'm wondering if it's different because they seem like they're going to be more invested in their youth, but they tend to bring their rookies along slowly. And then now I think you get into the, to the point, like the guys coming out of college, like Devin Vassell, they haven't played since like February, March, whatever it is. 
and they haven't mm-hmm. really had a training camp now. Like it's going to be a fake training camp basically when the season starts. Do you think he gets a chance to play like an actual role on this team, or do you expect it to follow, even with Trey Jones as well, a similar trajectory to a lot of these other guys where Derek Wright, I think, was under like nine minutes per game in his rookie season. It was something similar with Lonnie Walker as well. Yeah, so um, you know, one thing that's going to really help out Devin uh, uh, is that is that um, you know there are some early injuries in the preseason. So like, if he can really show up, show up and, and play really well in these few preseason games, uh, you know, he really he he really can make Coach Pop you know start start to think you know when everybody gets healthy, you know, maybe I have him as, as a player in the, in, the, in the wings, you know, waiting. Uh, right now, just based on their depth issues, they're going to have right now because they have so many. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but they have too many players right now, or, or some guys are going to have to sit out. You know, that's just the way it is. So I, I do see Devin and um, and for sure uh, if there is a G League season you know playing a little bit a little bit early on in the first few months uh, with the G League team uh like I said the preseason Devin might you know might get a lot of minutes but as soon as Kelton gets healthy and as soon as Derek White gets healthy those minutes will be gone I think the battle you can see if I think I don't I don't see Trey at all getting a, a, any chance of, of actually cracking the, uh, the rotation unless you know somebody gets gets hurt unfortunately so I think that the point guard spot is pretty short up with with DeJounte Murray and um, even Patty Mills I know that we you talked about earlier how Patty kind of sat out and was like an assistant coach in the bubble well I don't, I, you know, that was good for him. You know, he said he learned a lot and stuff like that from the coach's perspective. But it also, I think it sh- it showed him that you know he's pretty much getting close to the end here in terms of uh, you know is is he going to be that player who's going to get ready to retire in a few more years because he's actually been saying coming out of training camp. Uh, that he wants to be the the Australian national team version of Patty Mills, a very much more aggressive player that we have never seen in San Antonio. He's more that team-oriented kind of player. Uh, he does a lot of more spot-up threes and kind of sets up the offense. Well, now he's saying he wants to be a lot more aggressive off the bench here. So, so I'm actually interested to see how Patty plays. So again, I think the point guard spot is kind of short up. There's not there's not really any type of chance for uh, Trey Jones to crack it. But Lon, not Lonnie. Um, uh, 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 Vassell has a chance because I, I think that there's going to be that that just some minutes there between Lonnie Walker and Keldon Johnson kind of fighting for for who's going to start and then who's going to get the minutes off the bench and and if any of those players has like a slippage and they start to you know they start to have um you know s- some trouble well then I think Coach Pop could easily pull um you know give give Vassell a chance kind of like what he did last year when he started bringing in Keldon slowly and how um Lonnie started taking minutes away from Marco Bellinelli um just just uh, like two years ago. Yeah, there's and yeah, you kind of touched on this by naming all these guys, but there was a point, and it was even when Kawhi was on the team, where it just felt like they had two rotation caliber, like actual true wings. And now they all of a sudden just have a bunch of these guys between six six mm-hmm. and six nine. Has that been like a conscious team building decision or more just incidental because of talent that's been available in the draft? It sounds from from what uh you know on draft night uh, Brian Wright the Spurs GM he he you know he spoke to us uh, um, on Zoom and and he said that you know that's kind of what they want now they want shooting defense and, and length that's those are the or, you know he said speed defense and length or something like that he said these these four specific words or three specific words and so I think that's what they've been targeting in the in the draft and also you know maybe you know next year in the offseason with free agency that's kind of what they want to continue to do is they just want versatility they want they don't they no longer want to have those just those those, t- those players who can just play one certain position they want uh, players like we saw in the bubble where they can play DeMar at the four, where they can throw, um, you know, Kelton Johnson at the four and, 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 you know, have like three players who are normally shooting guards or small forwards all in the same lineups together. So I think that's kind of what they, what they're targeting. You know, that's what, kind of what they want. I was, it was interesting. I was watching them. Um, they have, they have another young player coming up, but it's going to be tough for him to get minutes in my opinion, uh, named Lucas Simonich, who they took in the first round last year. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really play, uh, get, get any minutes, but he, you know, he's like a six ten big, but they play him like 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 as, as if he's a three, like he's a small forward. And I was actually watching their warm up videos, and he was in line with the players who normally play at small forward, with like DeRozan and, and Devin Vassell. So so I'm interested also with a player like him, who's longer, who's more of a tradition, who, who you would think of as a big at six ten, but he's actually playing more of the three right now. 
I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, you're about to say, because if they're going to use him at the three, it doesn't feel like there would be like any real minutes for him, where at least in the front court, it's like, yeah, you have mainstays and Pirtle, Gay, Lyles, Aldridge, but it does feel just a little bit more turbulent based on age. And then Trey Lyles is like an ultimate wild card, and Jakob Pirtle's never even averaged 20 minutes per game. So if they were going to use him like a four or five, it feels like he might be able to sneak in there. But to imagine him um, at the three, like I just don't know where the minutes would come from at that point. Yeah, same here. Mm-hmm. So Derek White. Once he's fully reintegrated here, um, he was mol- well. He was molten in the bubble, like so many uh, of the mm-hmm. other Spurs. You mentioned that you thought he was going to start once he's healthy. Do you still think that that's like the the track that they're going to take, or might they still be a little bit protective? I'll call it of the the Murray White minutes. Yeah, I mean that was the that was the cool thing about I mean watching the Spurs all year. That was the cool thing about the bubble was the fact that Pop just right away threw them both out there together. You know that was something I thought that would happen from day one. I think honestly, like when we talked about this last year, I think I thought they were going to start together at the <laughs> time uh, back in October, and it never happened. It was kind of frustrating because you know after like twenty or thirty games, you know that it doesn't work. You know the the, the Brent Forbes Dejounte Murray combo. Uh, anyway, so then so to actually see them start, and you saw that Derek really took a leap there in the bubble, especially with his increase in three point volume and just more of his aggressiveness. You know he wasn't really waiting around; he was just kind of starting off. And then it was almost like he was the opener in the bubble, like to get the offense going, get get everybody um, going, get to the, the basket. And then it was more DeRozan who was the closer. So that was a pretty good system from what I saw to how it worked. So I think that for sure he is a starter, you know, when he gets healthy. Uh, I think that, you know, both of them, uh, I think Pops now saw, you know, he has the evidence, the data to show that, yes, even though, yes, there are going to be some spacing, spacing issues on offense, as long as they're playing quickly. And, you know, they're, they're, they're both attacking the paint uh, and just trying to get to the free throw. And I think that he's going to continue to keep that um, that type of system with uh, Derek and, and DeJounte. And then the thing about Derek, too, is, you know, it's very interesting. You were talking we were talking about earlier about the free agent class. And he's actually going to be one of the I want to say premier, but he's going to be one of the top free agents uh, in that in that group. If a lot more players continue to get extensions with their current teams. And he's a player who might also get off the free agent board because the Spurs have until December 21st to, to extend him as well. Now, we haven't heard any talks about an extension, but again, there, there could be an extension within the next two weeks here. Uh, to keep Derek long-term. That's one of the, for me at least, um, the offshoots of the Spurs playing their rookies so little is that I almost forget about their first season in the league. And so like each and every year at the beginning of the offseason when I'm going through the extension eligible candidates, I'm like, oh shit, Derek White has been in the league for three years. It hasn't only been mm-hmm. two. And look, if he plays, even if the bubble is unsustainable, if he plays like that like the, and he isn't signed to an extension, like that's just the archetype of player where, yeah, he's probably a little bit um, undersized if you're trying to look at him as a wing, but everything he does for the most part, like that's the type of player that you want. And so there'll be more cap space available uh, next summer. And that just gets to, he could become dangerously expensive from the Spurs' perspective if they don't sign him to an extension. The thing I was going to ask about him though is, what what is his swing skill? Like the thing that still kind of separates him from being maybe more of a premier player right now i automatically gravitate towards the off the dribble jumper but i'm also like a thousand miles away two thousand eight thousand miles away from the situation so i'm just curious as to what you think his his swing skill is uh you know i would say it was that but he actually like again we don't know if it's sustainable but he showed that in the bubble where like he was like he was taking a lot more um you know off the jumper threes uh, especially when defenses would go under on him and, and that was the thing is like with, with no Brent forbes there uh, because he was hurt at the time, uh, you know, I think they needed some sort of shooting, and Derek was that player who was a little bit more aggressive. And I would say the main thing for him is, is, is just the aggressiveness, you know, long term and, and consistently. He doesn't play like a player who could put up twenty a night all the time, and and that's I think that's the biggest issue is that he has that capability, 
we've seen it in spurts or, or a different, you know, every now and then, but it's, it's just that he, it's like, it's like, he's too, um, I would say like passive in a way. And he just kind of reads the game and, you know, he's kind of getting his teammates involved and he doesn't do that consistently. Whereas in the bubble, we did see like, like six games there where he was just like really aggressive. Like I mentioned, like really getting like, like 15, 20 points a, a game uh, pretty quickly and, and, and really just attacking the defense. And I think that that's for me, that's the biggest thing is just, you know, does he ever want to become uh, just more aggressive and say, you know, I, I can get to the basket, uh, you know, as, as many times as I, as I can try to get there. The uh, one of the I mean they have a ton of players that are just interesting, but Lonnie Walker uh, shot the three ball fa- uh, three ball excuse me fairly well last year in the bubble. Felt like he was finishing better closer to the basket, and then like at, like showed just another layer of playmaking. And I think that would be important if you think Derek White is going to start. Like bringing having more playmaking come off the bench is probably super important for them. What are the Spurs looking? Um, from him this season again once he's another guy i think who was who was banged up as well um is this still a matter of you know they'll give him heavy minutes if his shot selection and defensive consistency is better or are there other things at play here is he just going to get a longer uh more leeway from from the jump here yeah um you know he he did say you know we asked him you know what are, what are you working on he said he's actually been working on his dribbling that's the main thing for him because he noticed that you know he when he when he was uh, when he would have to become the, the the primary ball handler like when 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 the set would break down that's where he had a little bit of trouble with, of, of reading and attacking the defense so I think that's the main thing for them is is that they want him to work on is you know be ready to be be a spot up shooter still but when they kick out to you or or if we're in the half court you know and the offense isn't going anywhere and you need to run like a pick and roll or or maybe take someone one on one be a little bit more you know ha- have more direction in where you're going with with your decision making so I think that's the one thing that they want him to work on this coming season and that's something to watch for is his decision making in the half court offense uh and then you know defense that's why he's out there you know he's, he's a really uh, he's a really versatile defender as well uh and you know and, and he, he kind of he always knows that you know if he's not playing defense um he's not gonna be on the floor and, and that's something that coach pop wants from him and of course he's he's one of those players who gets up and down the court who can if you get a defense rebound he'll be out on the break uh ready to finish uh for the Spurs and he actually made an interesting comparison of a player he wants to um you know emulate down the road and that was Drew Holiday he said Says that he worked Ooh. out with Drew Holiday over the offseason in, in LA and Los Angeles, and he says that you know down the road, you know when when he starts you know reaching some of his like his his uh, you know his potential, he hopes that he can play or be a player like Drew Holiday, who's a really good two way player who really um you know really um harps on defense, but then also has, has a really good sound game on offense. Uh, this is it's tangentially related, but is he going to let his hair grow back out? Like there's too many there too many awesome haircuts were killed over this offseason. De'Aaron Fox shaved his head. Ronnie Walker cut his hair. Is it going to come back? I don't know. It doesn't look. I, I actually just he was he spoke with the media today virtually, and I just watched his Zoom, and he looks like he still has a shaved head. So I don't I don't know <sighs> if it's coming back. I loved his yeah. haircut. Um, but anyway, um, back to basketball stuff. So holy Ken, Ken uh, Keldon Johnson in the bubble last year. Uh, his volcanic shooting was just one thing, but I just didn't realize that he could move so well defensively or that he had the defensive range that he did where like they were using him as like sort of a, a quasi big at points. Uh, seemed like he held up pretty well on the glass too. I know you said he's not going to be there um, probably to start definitely the preseason, but really the, maybe even the regular season, but like what's the Spurs hope for him this year? Is this is again, I know there'll be a bunch of guys competing for minutes, but um, if you're, you know, just from you looking at this, would you assume that he just is an instant part of the rotation or is he someone whose minutes could just be trimmed a little bit just given the the multitude of like bodies the Spurs now have at those two through four spots? No, no, he's he's definitely going to be in the rotation. I think I think uh, for now, you're of course uh, probably off the bench, but I think he's going to be one of those guys who's going to put a lot of pressure on the starters to consistently you know play well. 
Uh, and again, I, I, I do wonder who's going to be that fit starter because if it's like Lonnie Walker and they start small, well, then I think Keldon has a chance during the season to kind of bump Lonnie and, and take that starting spot from him. So I really feel like Keldon's definitely a, a big part of their plans coming in. I'm at, We haven't actually spoken to him during training camp, but I'm actually interested to see what they actually asked him to work on in the offseason because like you said, I mean, defensively, he's there. He's got it, he's got it all. He's playing really well there. Uh, and, and that's why he was actually getting minutes before any other player, you know, any of the rookies uh, was because, again, when Coach Pop sees that a player has a de- defense potential he immediately you know starts starts to to get intrigued and, and starts getting some minutes like we saw early on with Kawhi a few years ago and that's 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 like a big reason why, why like you see Kelton get minutes in, in year one but you don't see a player like Lucas Simonich who isn't known for his defensive uh, uh skill set so um yeah so so uh and so what Kelton like again like even and, and it's it was only small sample size eight games and the bubble we shot very well from three we'll see if that's actually real that um, might be in, the in understatement of the year yeah <laughs> So, so I, I wasn't putting a lot in the. I mean, I think I think he'll have, have a fair, you know, three point shooting average. Um, you know, it should regress a little bit. But, but the thing that was really interesting about him, honestly, was the fact that, like, I, I actually like, you know, I, I I spent a lot of time making videos of watching him and and what he did in the bubble, and he really did a great job of like on secondary action where like somebody drove into the paint, they kicked out to him in the corner, and he either drove in and got to the foul line, drove in and finished, or drove in and kicked out to his teammates. So that was just uh, something that I saw a lot of growth from him. Uh, you know, and I didn't watch him a lot in Austin before the pandemic, so so I don't know too too much of how well uh, th- that was coming, uh, that that was growing that that part of his game. But again, that secondary action was something that I really really saw uh, uh, that was very well for him. And then also him pushing the pace, like when he would get a defensive rebound, he would cut, he would on his own like just read the defense, and if he thought that he could beat a guy to the basket, he'd do that. He'd just go aggressively toward the basket and finish or or get fouled. And so that's something that again I think that's why we saw that that a lot of growth from him. And I, I'm really interested again to see what do they want. Him to do uh, what did they have him work on in this offseason? Because if they if they had him start working on some half court stuff, like maybe running a little bit of pick and roll, or or you know just just doing s- some sort of isolation things, then that that's very interesting because that means that long term they do have some plans for him to, to develop offensively as well. He shot in the bubble. He shot thirteen of twenty one on drives. I was going back and looking at his shots like while he was yeah. there, and that was something that caught me off guard. So I looked it up. He even got to the foul line a bunch like on those plays. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. He turned two. Uh, excuse me. He turned forty six drives into sixteen free throws and then the other thing does he have like a little bit more of a like a a stop and pop game on the floor because he hit like i think he took nine pull-ups in the bubble and he hit five of them and so like that's just another little like could be added wrinkle in his game where it's yeah he's probably just best suited as a compliment but like he can it's not just going to be the standstill shooter like there's functional offensive play here yeah i think so you know he, he, he did a good job like you said like just popping out a little bit there um you know we like like i mentioned he, he um a lot of it was where the defense would leave him alone, and so like he, you know somebody would drive in and they kick out to him and they're in the corner or, or on the wings, and so he hit it. But I, you know, I didn't see any kind of pull up shots. But uh, yeah, that's definitely something that that I think that that he's gonna grow with his, with his, his shot. And you know, again, we'll see how real that that accuracy percentage was for him. Will we see him and Demar Derozan be used like kind of how they were, where it felt like I think Derozan logged some time at the four um, in Disney, and then Johnson, I believe, was definitely there. You have Gay who could factor in there as well, and I think Lyles could technically play there with with Aldridge, but is going like down. I think you already mentioned it, that they could downsize with the starters is, is going that route, like maybe a way of them helping juggle all the wings that they currently have in the rotation. And if they're not inclined to start games or finish games that way, like who do you look at as the wing that's just going to suffer, suffer most, at least at the start of the season, aside from Devin Vassell, who we've already, you've already noted is just probably not going to have a significant role period. Yeah. um, You know, that that's an interesting question. I think that a lot of it's going to have to do with, 
uh, matchups because I mean, it, it, I think that it would benefit the team to two play smaller, like we saw there in the bubble with DeRozan at the four, Kelton at the four at times. But then you're gonna have a lot of unhappy players. You got you got you got Jakob who's not gonna get a lot of minutes. Rudy Gay, Trey Lyles, uh, uh, who, who else? Uh, um, uh, they just resigned Drew Eubanks. So like that's their problem is like they have a bunch of bigs or like fours, and those if they go small like, and it works to go in small, it's gonna be tough for a lot of those other players because they're gonna be sitting on the bench most nights for a long time. And so I really think it comes down to matchups. They play a team who's a lot quicker and who plays a lot more smaller matchups well then they'll match up with them and throw you know DeRozan at the four and, and, and Keldon at the four if they're playing more more um, teams who play more traditional with four and five uh, players like, like usual well then I think they'll, they'll stick with those traditional Jakob Pertl, LaMarcus Aldridge type of front court options as far as you know what would they close with I, again I, I really think that they would they would want to have either Keldon or Lonnie on the floor in, in one of those closing lineups mm-hmm. along with um you know they're they're not going to bump DeRozan or Aldridge out of the, the, the closing time so then I think it's it's probably like their closing lineup is probably going to be a combo of um uh, Dejounte, uh, uh, Derek White, Kel- uh, Demar, and Lamarcus, and then uh, then either Keldon or Lonnie is who I would say right now, or maybe like Rudy Gay, depending again on on the matchup. This is I did not send this to you, but are we like nationally collectively too low on Demar Derozan? I feel like I've always been like on the lower <laughs> end of him, and there's there's something games are not similar, but like I feel like he needs to be in a very specific. Uh, have a very specific set of players around him to be at his best, sort of like Russell Westbrook, and that he's just not the type of player, at least right now, who's worth going to length to building around since the ceiling in that scenario isn't too high. On the flip side, he just averaged over 22 points, shot 54% inside the arc, had a true shooting percentage um, over 60. He's still like a really good player. And I'm only asking this question because I never thought that I'd see, at least right now, like, you know, I know people don't like player rankings. I tend to like them, I guess, because I'm an author of them at Bleacher Report. But like ESPN mm. ranking Tyler Hero ahead of DeRozan. Like, have we gone too far, like, off the the DeRozan bandwagon? Yeah, I, I think that it, it really, you know, he, like you said, like, it's, it's weird because, like, it's hard because, like, there's some skills that he's just so good at that a lot of players just don't have those skills. And that's his playmaking and his scoring. And But his type of scoring is, is what it is. And I think that that's what's not appealing to to, to a lot of fans or, or even, like, analysts. Uh, the fact that, like, he doesn't shoot threes. He, he takes a lot of mid-range. But, I mean, he really does a great job of running pick and roll and setting up – or going one-on-one and setting up his teammates, getting to the free throw line uh, and, and taking – um, some high percentage shots aside from, you know, you just wish he cut down a lot of the mid range stuff. Um, and then, um, you know, of course, you know, the, the big, the big factor though, is uh, the fact that he just does not take the three at all. He doesn't want to even get close to that, you know, so that, that's, that's, I think that's a big part of it. And then of course, defensively, he still has his lapses and he, and he's one of the players who, 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 don't, uh, who, who has some trouble there, uh, defensively. So, so yeah, I think that it's just, it's just tough to, to rank him because again, he has like these really elite skills, but then on the, on the flip side, there are these, these major issues. And I think that's why you always see him, you know, rank so lowly in a lot of these player rankings, uh, but you know he's had he's had a he's he did have a great season last year and then especially in the bubble he really he really did a good job of um kind of not not being that aggressive at the beginning be more of a being more of a playmaker and letting the young guys kind of like push the pace like you were mentioning earlier and kind of just get attacking and get get comfortable well then in the fourth quarter when the game would slow down in the half court and they really needed a bucket they they would actually go to DeRozan to create for for the team or to try to get to the free throw line or or, or you know then use his mid range jumper so I think that if they can kind of adjust the offense that way where like he becomes like the closer like he, he was in the bubble I think that's going to help them this season and I'm wondering if there's I think we would need a larger sample size but if there's something to the effect that if he is kind of used as this like super small four the types of players that he might be guarding in those situations might make him less of a liability because yeah I think fours are glorified wings now but he's like he's pretty strong he's like six 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 seven and so if you have him matched up just against someone who's not super explosive and looking to put the ball on the floor as so many twos and threes are like maybe that's a way to either 
if you want to say hide him or just make sure that he's having fewer lapses in the half court specifically. Yeah, and I think I think also a big part of that was the lineups that they were playing in the bubble. Like you know, like I said, more more versatile, younger d- defensive lineups that helps them because you you can um you can you know like you said you can kind of switch his matchups up. You can you can um you can hide him a little bit, and then you know the the problem was before the pandemic uh, it was it was DeRozan and Bridford. So so the so the defenses, I mean the, the the opposing offenses, they would try to target either player, and so that was tough for the Spurs because you couldn't hide two two different uh, defenders mm-hmm. who have some trouble on defense. Well, now with just DeRozan, uh, you know he's going to be fine as long as he's not going against like LeBron or Kawhi. Leonard, you know, if, if the elite players aren't aren't the ones that he has to guard, then he's going to be okay. If you can, like you mentioned, like you maybe put him like on a spot up shooter or a player who kind of just you know slashes and things like that. So, so I think that yeah, it's going to help them out as well defensively. I think that's why we saw their their numbers improve a little bit on defense uh, in the bubble. Yeah, the most I was looking this up while you were speaking. The most used lineup with him at the four last year was close to league average defensively, which is not mm-hmm. like bad at all. Like that would be a win if you mm-hmm. end up like giving up only hundred and ten. 0.5 points per 100 possessions with him at the four. Um, sorry for that derailment, but the, the ESPN rankings have made me think of the, the DeRozan question. What should we watch for at the DeJounte Murray this year? Uh, I feel like you could pencil him in or like or predict that he'll make all defense and feel pretty confident about it if you wanted to. He still feels like despite shooting a, a pretty good clip from three and upping his catch-and-shoot percentage, and he like had these moments where it looked like his in-between game was coming along, Is it? does he still feel sort of like a mystery box on offense? Yeah, that's that's the thing. I think uh, I think that for sure. What you just said there. I think that this year he's gonna have a really good um, defensive year. Um, especially the fact that he's gonna be around better defensive players. We saw we saw what he was able to do um, just two years ago when he made it when he made the second team all defense when he had better defenders around him. And I think we're gonna see, he's gonna get back to that. He's gonna have uh, like like I mentioned, he's gonna be able to because he has um, better players who can kind of help out. He's gonna be able to gamble a little bit more and try to get some more steals and things like that and, and disrupt passing lanes uh, uh, and not worry about the you know the defender getting I mean the, the offense getting away the the other player and getting to the basket because he has. Better Better help defenders, but um, on offense, I just don't know exactly where his growth is coming. Like he's made slow growth, uh, you know, especially with his mid-range jumper. That's become pretty consistent now. That's like his go-to bread and butter shot that he that he really relies on. Uh, like you mentioned, his his wide open three percentage um, really did well last year. When he, but again, it, it's when he was like literally wide open, and, right. and a lot of times, you know, the, the defensive, you know, those were just wide open shots. Defenses will leave him open on purpose. Um, and 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 then there would be times too when he was wide open, he would still hesitate. At, you know, we're just watching him. So I'm not sure exactly where the where the growth is coming from I, w- I would say if anything maybe attacking the rim a little bit more that's one thing he doesn't do as much uh, and, and maybe you like to see him do a little bit more like i said like if, if you ever get if there's a pick and roll a lot of times his main thing is to do is just to go to the mid-range jumper so i would say that you know he, he does a fair job of, of setting up the offense and doing and running the point but um i, I would say let's uh, i'm eager to see if he gets a little bit more aggressive and attacking the rim this year do you, he did turn the ball over in transition a lot, I think, in each of his last two healthy seasons, if I'm not mistaken. And if the Spurs are going to look to be more opportunistic there, is that something that will concern you about maybe his decision-making there? Or do you think just because he's shown that he can maybe get the Spurs into their sets in more of a half-court style, that that's just something um, that'll that'll be fine in the end? I think it'll be okay in the end because uh, I think he's gonna be he's gonna have better uh, players, quicker players out on out on the break with him uh, when when they start you know getting out in transition. I think because I, I I can't remember that being a huge issue in the bubble. Maybe that that, that probably was though uh, prior to. So I think that's where a lot of that that data might come from. So I think he'll be okay. Uh, I I do agree with you that that he had some turnover issues, especially in the half court at, at times as well. So so that's something to watch as well. Um, you already talked about their closing lineup. Is there like a quirky lineup that you're just hoping they'll roll out at some point this season? 
Yeah, uh, they're, they're just like maybe like not like a traditional point. Like, uh, I mean, really, you no. Know, I mean, they kind of do it already with like like Kelton, Lonnie, um, uh, Derek, and, and Dejounte. If they could just get those four guys out there, that'd be pretty cool. And, and of course, I think that'd be really awesome. If they can get uh, Kel, uh, Devin Vassell thrown out there. So just like a bunch of wings, that'll be fun to see. And and who knows if like they're playing like well, the Rockets used to be really small, but they're playing like a team who plays like strictly just five players who are who are like under six uh, ten. I think maybe there's a chance for that. I would love to see like their their four main wings, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, Kellen Johnson, and Devin Vassell. I call him a main wing, just looking at the future. Mm-hmm. And then I personally, I'd be like, hey, th- let's let's throw Rudy Gay out at the five and can see what happened. But I'd be mm-hmm. okay if it was Aldridge or even Jakob Pertl in that situation. I want to see the the four wings. I would even be you know, if you wanted to get like super weird, just because Dejounte Murray has like that the size of like a basically wing, like let's go five wings. Like hello, Keldon Johnson and Lonnie Walker. Welcome to play in the four and the five. That might be like the anti Popovich lineup, but they just have so many different wing combinations that intrigue me. It just, it's, it's really amazing. It just feels like a, a couple years ago, like this just wasn't the case. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and the thing is, like, that's the thing that, again, like, uh, you know, there's not that many marquee free agents out there for next year. But that's the thing is, like, any free agent if they're, that they're going to try to throw an offer at, you know, they're, they're going to say, you know, we have this young group of wings who who maybe just needs like a, like a main playmaker. And so this could be like the team that that, that, that you build around. The So we had kind of touched upon this before, but so we have Aldridge, DeRozan, Gay, and Mills. They're all on expiring contracts. And while the Spurs are trying to straddle two lines, if we get to a point where it's the middle of the season and maybe they're not out of the playoff race, but they're not like firmly in it, like maybe they're more so in the play-in spot chase than the um, actual postseason, like going for a top seven or top six seed, whatever they want to try and do, do you think they become open to kind of moving whatever of those vets that they can? Or do you think that, the the flexibility they're slated to have this summer is going to be more important to them. And it's not, you know, I'm not even looking at it as like they're trying to tank, but with some of these larger deals, like they they go from like, you know, Mills being in the like medium end with Gay being in the medium end to DeRozan and Aldrich who are larger. Like there might be situations where either teams want to clear their own cap space for 2021, or they're just really hurting because of, you know, losing the revenue from everything that's happened amid the pandemic. Perhaps they're willing to attach assets to these longer deals that maybe don't necessarily fit the Spurs' timeline or vision, but just net them another asset to, to move forward with. If, again, they're not firmly in, like, let's say a top six spot um, or top seven spot uh, around the trade line, do you think that's something they consider Verge on being aggressive with? Or do you more so expect this to be mostly the team that they're finishing with unless this becomes a situation where, you know, maybe the Spurs are out of it and contenders come calling where it's an expiring contract for an expiring contract and that that expiring is also coming with an asset because Gay or Mills, uh, maybe even Aldridge or DeRozan, like they could be viewed as like real assets mm-hmm. to teams. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And and I, I agree. Um, you know, I think that this offseason, the right before the draft, it showed us exactly the, the kind of um, the engagement they're going to have with, with teams in terms of trades for these players. Because we did see DeRozan in trade rumors. We saw Aldridge in trade rumors. We even saw Patty Mills in trade rumors. We didn't see Rudy, but, you know, there, there's basically, you know, I, I think that, from from my perspective and how I'm gonna I'm gonna how I'm gonna see this whole season going through up, up until the March trade deadline is I think they're gonna continue to take any calls on those four players and maybe even Trey Lyles because he is you know he's also like you know he's kind of in that midway between the young guys and, and and the veterans I think that they're gonna be taking calls on all these players throughout the year and again if there's a deal there for them I think that they that they might make it now like you said if they're, they're actually playing well and they're like maybe like a top six or seven seed and it looks like they are going to the playoffs. They're pretty comfortable with that. Well, then I think they're way more hesitant to make it kind of a deal if it's a, if it's a good deal. Uh, 
But if they start falling apart, you know, and they're and they're maybe like a nine through like twelfth range, well then I could see them. Then, then yeah, if there's a good deal out there for them to get some assets because they know these players probably aren't going to come back next year. I think that they that, that they would really evaluate those kind of uh, scenarios. So I think that all year we are going to see their players, these four players, tied into different trade rumors. I feel like that's been DeRozan the for the last deadline. two years, right? Is like yeah, that's just been the sure, name yeah. that's been so, coming out and. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, like 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 just a team that really just I, I think about that's good that you know if they struggle out of the gate and and they think they need some extra help, I think somebody like Boston might because they just got that big trade exception uh, where they'd have to make some, some different roster moves, um, some cap mechanics, but they could actually make it work where they can end, end up pulling in Aldridge or DeRozan, uh, you know, just a, a former All Star type caliber player if they really wanted to make you know if they really struggled though uh, with the group that they have. So again, I think that like you, like you mentioned, there is going to be a, there might be a playoff team down the line where there's the, where they had high expectations, they're not they're not meeting those expectations. So maybe they do want to get a Patty Mills, a, a, a Rudy Gay, a LaMarcus Aldridge, or DeRozan. So I don't know, if, you know, just knowing the Spurs, I, I just think that these four players are probably going to end up finishing the year. But if things go south and, the, and it doesn't work out and, and we can tell they're not going to be a guaranteed playoff team, then I, I, I again, I think they take calls all year and, and maybe there's a chance they, they move some of these players. Because, again, uh, you know, four assets, like you mentioned, because um, at the end of the day, I, I don't think these four players will be back in San Antonio next offseason. I do have two follow-up questions to that. Um, one, if I forced you to choose, which I am, um, <laughs> who would be the <laughs> least likely player to finish the season on the Spurs among those four? I would say uh, DeRozan right now. Really? Just That's because of his, yeah, only, uh, uh, oh, you know what, who's, never mind, never mind, uh, I'm changing, I'm, I'm actually, because I'm thinking of their contract status, uh, I'm thinking of Aldridge right now. Because of uh, the the numbers a little bit lower to trade to trade away, it's at twenty four million, whereas DeRozan's at twenty seven. I kind of thought it might be Mills. I don't know if that's like too much of a culture hit, just because he's such a cultural touchstone there. If you move him, but that's like a guy who can is shooting off the ball still as long as he's healthy, he's going to be mm-hmm. um, really good. And that becomes like something that's if you can have him on the floor defensively in the playoffs, that's something that becomes super valuable. And his money's just so digestible. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that that, that could happen too. I, I, like I. Patty is like you mentioned, you know, the biggest uh, culture piece here in, in in San Antonio with with the team, with the fan base. Uh, but like I like I said, you know, it looks from the signals we saw there in the bubble was that like you know they they were trying to they were almost like they were getting ready to to, to put him in that role of like being that that veteran player who's kind of just there for the locker room mentorship mentorship. But he like like I said, his comments are, are, are a little bit different uh, starting off training camp because that's stuff that he hasn't really said mm-hmm. before in San Antonio, saying that I want to be more aggressive on offense. I want to be the Australian national team version of Patty Mills. Like he's saying those things out loud, so I think that he knows that maybe maybe uh, the Spurs and the league are looking at him like that one of those players who's who's out the door pretty soon. Uh, uh, but so instead, he wants to show that he still has a lot uh, there for himself to to kind of show that he can be an aggressive player. Um, this is not something I sent you, but I was curious about it. Um, how many minutes is Jakob Pertl getting this season? Like he's never averaged that. Yeah, that's a great question. And they gave him those like in the bubble, and then he just like at least in the I think it was the beginning, or maybe it was the stress. Mm-hmm. Like he just fouled a bunch when he was given more minutes. Yeah, and and he said that uh, in one of his interviews recently, and so like he did say like his short term goal for this season is to be a starter, which like that's kind of tough if they want to continue to play a little bit smaller. So mm-hmm. like there's no guarantee there's and and that's why like uh, you know as far I I had a good feeling that they were going to bring him back. But I, I didn't know exactly, you know, how they were going to make this work when everybody's healthy, all the bigs, and, that, and that's the problem you see there is like, uh, and, and Jakob said that, um, you know, in the in the bubble when he did get those increased minutes, he's hoping to get that that type of minutes again. But he says that it was try, it was a little a lot harder for him defensively to make sure that he's not fouling as much because then he sees that it takes him out of the game, and you know, and he just wasn't used to that. But he was saying that he hopes with more reps in, in that type of situation, uh, he would get better at it. But again, I don't, I don't, I can't give a prediction on the number of minutes. But man, it's going to be a tough one because like like we just said, you know, there's there's Rudy. 
Moody, there's LaMarcus, there's Trey, and then there's Jakob, and then plus Drew Eubanks is back again too. So so there, there's no guaranteed minutes at the big spot unless you, unless your name is LaMarcus Aldridge. That was a Drew Eubanks with another guy in the bubble who just like played really mm-hmm. well where it's like, wow, that guy can actually move pretty well on the defensive end. And they got him for nothing to bring him back. Yeah, just the minimum. Mm-hmm. Oh, and look, Jakob Pertl costs less than Mason Plumley, so so that's a win right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, what's a realistic win total for this team? You can feel free to punt on that. Um. But also, like, where could you, where do you envision them sort of finishing in the Western Conference? And just so our listeners know, like, this is just you, you could base it off however you want. Like, if you're taking in, um, maybe the prospect of trades or just leaning more into the youth at some point in the season, however you want to do it. Okay, so so what what I came up with was uh you know they finished at forty five percent um you know winning percentage last year in an eighty and and it, well, no, it was less than an eighty two game season anyway a shortened season um so I would say this I do expect this team to be better than what they were last year so I, I would just I would say raise that to about forty eight percent so then when you when you tie that to a to a sixty two or seventy two game season I, I'm I'm predicting right now thirty four wins for this team so again thirty four wins is what I'm seeing I saw that their Bavada had their over under at twenty nine point five wins so you oh, know wow. just, so so I'm taking the yeah so I'm taking the over there against against Vegas. Um, and, and just, you know, overall, I do see them in, um, that, that eighth through, I, w- I would say eighth through 11th range. I think that they're going to be one of those teams who's kind of right there in the playoff hunt for, or at least through the, through the bubble playoff, I mean, for the play in playoff hunt up until like 10. So they're going to be straddling that line. Uh, I, I don't know yet exactly. Cause like I said, I'm not sure exactly how this team's going to work out with LaMarcus and Trey Lyles back. I really feel that if they go back to that, that type of style that they had before the, the pandemic, uh, where they want to, you know, give a lot more half court offense and run their post ups and their pick and pop mid rangers, and and it's not the 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 speed and the pace uh, increase like we thought, or the or the versatile lineups being played, uh, then they could have they could they could regress and get a little bit worse than what we saw in the bubble. So so that's why I'm not so totally on this team just yet. So that's why I would say about eight to like eleventh is my is my projection right now. The range of outcomes for any team that hasn't steered itself out of the playoff race in the West right now is just wild because I think. Um, Mm -hmm. The Thunder and the Kings are the only two teams that I think have so far punted on that. Um, Maybe the Kings aren't fully there, but after letting Bogdanovich walk, um, I think that they're eventually going to get to that point. They have all those expiring deals. They'll move them. Um, You can maybe talk yourself into like, I don't know that Minnesota will get to that point, but I think you can talk yourself into them being bad. Maybe even the Grizzlies just, um, they're missing Justice Winslow. Uh, They, you know, just have a ton of questions. Jaron Jackson Jr. is not going to be healthy to start the year, but just like even the, the really good teams, like a lot of them didn't get better. We have no idea what's happening in Houston. Um, you could argue that uh, Denver should be fine, but like they did lose two of their best wing defenders in Grant and Craig. Portland got a lot better, but they weren't contenders to begin with. I think Dallas got a little bit better, but Chris Porzingis won't be healthy to start the season. And, and what does he look like? The Suns get a lot better. So like the Spurs are just like they could – you could probably talk me into, let's just say this team stays together, everyone stays healthy. You could probably talk me like from anywhere between three and like 11 or 12 for this team. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And I, I even, I would actually go, yeah, I would say like even like six or seven sounds pretty solid for them too. And if like, let's say the young guys, um, you know, really continue because I think a lot of this, their success is going to be on the young guys. You know, how do, how do they develop and mature? You know, I, I know that they lost uh, um, Bellinelli and Forbes, but the thing is Forbes is huge for their outside shooting. And so there's really not, aside from Derek and like Patty Mills, none of these guys on, on this roster right now are, are like are like solid like um, three point shooters. So I think that there's going to be a lot of questions for this team in terms of spacing. So um, you know we'll see how it goes. But again, they, they can make up for that with that increase in pace if, if they continue that style though. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd be right around your win projection too. Like you have them at if it was an 82 game season, you have them at roughly a 39 win pace with 34 games, and that feels right. Um, I, I guess if the over under is so low that just uh, odds makers have to be like, uh, accounting for a probable, like, 
I don't want to say tear down, but they're either moving some of the veterans or they're just, you know, maybe the veterans aren't playing as much and they're, they're leaning fully into their, their youth movement. Because I think, what'd you say it was 28, 29? Like that just feels, that feels really low for this team um, because that's a 33 win season essentially. And again, that just feels if, if they're going to be relatively healthy, that feels super low. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, yeah I think it was at 29.5 wins mm-hmm, on Bavada. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you want to talk about? Anything that's under, you know, covered with this team nationally? Do you have any strong, you know, uh, Quindary Weatherspoon takes? Anything like that? No, I mean, uh, I'm just trying to think here. Like, I'm just interested to see again, like how how the, how everything uh, works out with them. Like, especially like my biggest question is the is it bringing back Aldridge because it, it is like you know a little bit. I mean, that's like again, he's one of your your, your core focal points in terms of uh, where you go to on offense. And so that's going to be something to watch. You know, right now we're hearing the good things about he's picking a pop from three, but you know I've watched the markets now for a few years here in San Antonio, and it's a lot of it is still that 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 pick and pop from mid range and, and getting your post ups and your turnaround shots and and you know that stuff is just that's not that's not what they did in the bubble and so that's why i want to see if they really can how, how much they can replicate what they did there in the bubble uh with these younger more versatile lineups and, and these younger players uh and, and see how it works out so so that's you know that, that'll be interesting to watch and, and i think also the, just the trade activity with this team in terms of uh you know all the rumors that are going to be happening i think all, all season long up until that trade deadline it would it would be out of character of them to do like anything substantial mid-season but they've also like they haven't been set up to do something like this in in a really long time like it's just if they if they either don't want to make the playoffs or they're just not firmly in the hunt like they are just so perfectly set up to like begin their reset a little bit earlier just you know sell whatever veterans they can for um um, assets and maybe not even having to take on long term money in the process but they're also set up because their contracts are so big that hey if that's the route they want to go and they don't care about having cap space this summer um they could do that so they just have so many different things that they could do but that's discounting the fact that I wouldn't view this team as even in the second or third tier of like contenders. If you want to say the top six teams in the West, but like they could actually be, if they're healthy, still really good. Even if there aren't teams in the West that are just, you know, waving the white flag at some point during the middle of the season. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And then I think one other question, I mean, I mean one other thing I, I kind of want to watch too is, you know, which what, out of these young players, who's the guy who really makes some, some growth, like really just takes a leap. I wonder if there's a player there. And if I had to put, if I had to say someone, I would say maybe Kelton Johnson takes more of a leap there uh, this coming season. You think more so than Lonnie Walker? Yeah, I think so. Just I mean, again, based on what what I saw there in the bubble um, and, and to the end of the year, to the end of the year in the summertime. So I really feel like Kelton was the one who was really making a lot of growth and, and um, you know just move, moving moving upward. Um, Paul, Paul, this was great. Thank you for giving me uh, 45 plus minutes of your time. If you guys are not following Paul on Twitter, remedy that immediately. He is at Paul Garcia NBA. That's spelled exactly as it sounds. He is covers the NBA for Project Spurs and analyzing the league. He also hosts the, um, excuse me, the Spurs cast. I'm sorry. I don't know why I was stuttering mm-hmm. there. So he hosts the Spurs cast podcast. Again, follow him on Twitter at Paul Garcia NBA. I'm sure as you know by now, Paul, I will be pestering you again in the future. So thanks again for coming on. I really enjoy the discussion every time you're here. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, this is fun for sure. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.